Kaiju Network commentary of 1959's Battle in Outer Space. I am your co-host, Kenton. With me is your other co-host. Jason, what's going on, everyone? Sorry for the little bit of technical difficulties here on my end. Some things just wasn't working right. (laughs) (laughs) So we are doing a Japanese sort of, uh, I guess, sci-fi classic. Uh, It is not necessarily as... um, I don't want to say well-known, but definitely not as, um, I guess, hailed uh, as well as, let's say, the Mysterians, for example. And so this came a couple of years after the Mysterians. And so before we kind of get into the commentary, I just want to start off by saying that with the commentaries, we're not only here to do these to learn a little bit of something about the movie through our own research, but also just to have some fun, just to sit back and relax, uh, give our own thoughts and opinions on the films as we go through them, and to maybe even have some fun by cracking some harmless jokes along the way yep. uh, as well. So uh, before we go on, let's just give our quick little um, overview as far as our own personal opinions about this movie. Um for me, I'll start. Uh, this is a film I have seen, gosh, maybe <coughs> excuse me, maybe a dozen times or so. Um, I purchased this uh, on the Toho uh, special uh, effects collection DVD released by Columbia TriStar slash Sony back in 2009. And uh, it's become sort of a pseudo favorite classic sci-fi film of mine. Um, I am a huge fan of classic alien invasion films, especially older films. Uh, I just kind of like how aliens and invasion films are portrayed um, with those particular classic films. Uh, It's one I've always kind of considered to be a pretty decent film. There are things about it that I think are done fairly well. There are things about it that I think um, are a little rough around the edges, but otherwise I I think it's a pretty decent film. Mm -hmm. uh, When it comes to uh, Battle in Outer Space for me, I think I've I've only seen it once, I believe, because I know we've uh, reviewed uh, the film uh, I would say a few years ago over on the uh, the podcast version of our show and the I do have that uh, three film set that I believe that you gave me a few years ago that included H-Man uh, that and then as well as the Mothra 1961 film but the other day I'm going to be uh, I just bought the uh, the Blu-ray version of the H-Man and Battle of Outer Space or In Outer Space uh, combo uh, via through Amazon so that's why I'm going to be watching uh for today's commentary here, but um, I I can't really describe what my feelings were towards this film, and I haven't uh, gone back to our previous show when we talked about this uh, movie. So um, you can sort of say that I'm going to be uh, going back in with a fresh mind on this uh, film because I just can't remember what my feelings were towards uh, Battle in Outer Space. So uh, even though I watched it once, uh, still going in with a fresh mind on it. 
Yeah, for me, this film is pretty fresh in my mind. Um, for quite a while, since about last fall, I've been showing my young son uh, various kaiju films every so often. And this one I showed him month, month and a half ago. So this one is fairly fresh in my mind. Uh, it's definitely going to be a huge sense of deja vu. And like I said, I've already seen it quite a few times already over the years. Um, so for me, I'm going to be watching the English dubbed version of this film. I have not seen the Japanese uh, language English subtitle version of this film. Uh, I do have it obviously on the disc. I just have yeah, I'm gonna seen be, that Yeah, I'm going to be watching the Japanese version with the subtitles on since I'm going to be having the volume down uh, quite a bit here so that none of the mm -hmm. audio doesn't see through and especially with YouTube and all their terms of service and everything so I at least try to avoid it. Yeah. So what we're going to do, if you have not joined us before, I'm going to go three, two, one, go. When I say go, hit the uh, OK slash play button on your player and we will get going. So are you ready, yep, Jason? I got it uh, highlighted on play right now. All right. So here we go. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> FBI anti-piracy warning. So let me put this on the commentary cam so you won't see our ugly mug, mug shots for <laughs> for the rest of the time being here. <laughs> so anybody out there uh, in the uh, viewership, have any of you seen this film prior to uh, today? So I don't know about you, Jason, but at least with the English dub here, the opening music is a piece of music that should be pretty familiar to people who have seen Godzilla vs. Gigan. Uh, it is more or less considered the main march or theme to Godzilla vs. Gigan. For, for some reason, it sort of reminds me of uh, – well, as far as the opening sequence, sort of reminds me of Monster Zero. Particularly when it comes to maybe like the coloring, the atmosphere look to it, just sort of how uh, the film looks in a way. So there is a huge misconception about this movie, and it's one that I I always thought was really strange because I had picked up on this, um, you know, a number of years ago when I first saw the film, and it's been a misconception that's been, uh, you know, perpetuated uh, still, even when this film has had an official release here in the States, and that is there are plenty of fans that say that this is a sequel of sorts to The Mysterians. And that is simply not true. Uh, this is its own film. They're outside of a couple of characters whose names are s the same, but played by different actors. Uh, there are no s other similarities or connections with The Mysterians. Um, it's it's not like War of the Gargantuas where at least if you saw see the Japanese film uh, or the Japanese version of War of the Gargantuas, the Japanese version actually does make um, callbacks to the Frankenstein Conquers the World film. However, with Battle in Outer Space, that 
there are no callbacks to the Mysterians or anything of the sort. So this is its own film. So here, at least with the U.S. edit, we're getting the opening credit sequences with three flying saucers making their way towards the Earth and this very uh, rousing yet familiar marching thing by Akira Ifukube, where, again, if you've seen Godzilla vs. Gigan, is basically the main theme slash march of that film. And that movie, anyone who is familiar with the production history of that film, uh, a lot of that film film score was lifted from various other Godzilla kaiju tokusatsu films um, of, of previous years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and apparently when this film was released in uh, Japan December 26, uh, 1959, just the day after Christmas, it was released uh, by Columbia Pictures in 1960. It doesn't say specifically when in the United States, it came at, uh, it was, or I should say it came as a double feature with 12 to the moon. My research has, uh, says it was released in the States July 8th of 60. Okay. Yeah. From what I'm reading here, it doesn't, it didn't say what specific day. It just only said year here. But even though when this film came out in 1959, just from what I'm watching it here via Blu-ray, it doesn't seem it was made in 1959. It almost looks like it was made in uh, the 1960s here. Yeah. It looks it looks this fairly actor, nice, he, like the the presentation of it on the Blu-ray here. Yeah, the actor here uh, playing the Lantern Man is Ikio Sawamura. Uh, anybody familiar with um, the Godzilla series and any other tokusatsu films will recognize him in many bit parts throughout those particular films. Uh, He was used pretty frequently in a lot of Honda's films where he does play these, these very brief parts. And that one scene there when they had uh, the bridge getting left up, sort of a nice way. However, when that train, you know, fell off, into the river there. I'm sort of surprised that they didn't uh, have the train there explode. It didn't. It only just showed it just falling out and then the bridge being lifted down. And I mean, with a lot of those sorts of uh, train scenes or cars or what have you, when they uh, fall off and then collide with something you would expect it to explode or something there well yeah and the tracks there when the bridge was placed back down at least on the left side of the bridge were not straightened out mm-hmm. but then of course in that brief uh, newspaper snippet you saw a moment later the tracks were basically put back uh, to normal which, i didn't see that you know, one there didn't happen <laughs> i would have thought that the way that bridge landed i would have thought that like almost all of it should have at least bent or just collapsed after the, sort of that hard landing there that it made. 
Yeah. So, Battle in Outer Space um, in Japan for 1959, or during its theatrical run, I should say more specifically, made about $329,000 at the box office. It was the 25th highest grossing Japanese-produced film uh, of the time. Uh, during its theatrical run of that year, kind of late 59, early 60. And um, this was as a result because of the fact that its box office performance was slightly underwhelming. This really was the last time that Toho began to um, look at structuring stories in a slightly more complex manner. Even though this film is not all that complex, there are more intricacies involved with the story than what we will find later throughout the 60s. And so basically the KIS acronym was implemented. In other words, keep it simple. As a result, many of the stories going forward with Toho during the Showa era had stories that were more straightforward uh, and easier to follow, so to speak. And um, this sort of was also a point, too, in which budgets even by this point in 59 started decreasing ever so slightly. A lot of people say that kind of mid to late 60s is when everything like that started. Not necessarily true. It was kind of starting with this film, after this film, I should say, that the budget started being cut just a little bit. They weren't cut as noticeably and as significantly as they would in the 60s. But already, at least with Toho, uh, some of these special effects films were starting to see budgets ever so slightly decrease. And I don't know if you noticed that in the uh, – I'm guessing it was the United Nations – seen there that uh, they had a guy supposedly from China and even though that this film was made in 1959 they still had the uh, what apparently is now the Taiwan flag even though that China was taken over by uh, the Communist Party in 1949 10 years prior which is sort of amazing how they still did that even though uh the uh oh the republic of china government at the time flew over to taiwan there here is ahmed the iranian uh representative Yoshio Tsuchiya playing Iwamura. Still seems quite the same. <laughs> it's like even though he hasn't really changed there appearance are... over the years up until you basically saw him in uh, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah 91. Yeah. Already what we've seen in this film, a number of map paintings and and they're absolutely incredible. Like here, here in this scene in the background where you see the mountains in there, that's a matte painting as well. And they're very well done. <laughs> well, I know they showed quite a few in the uh, the beginning 
they're showing yep. like some of the destruction of roads and buildings where they had like some sort of tsunami going towards building and I'm guessing it was uh, Venice, Italy there. This movie is very much in the fashion of the type of film Shiro Honda would make throughout most of his tokusatsu movie-making career, and um, just sort of his own world view in many respects in terms of the countries of the world coming together in many of these UN-slash-conference-style settings to figure out a solution to the the problem at hand. And the interesting thing, though, is that even though Honda himself um, was a pacifist, uh, this film and several other films uh, very much uh, embrace uh, a sort of um, militaristic uh, style of solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. So our lead actor here, the one uh, not carrying the gun there, uh, the actor's name there is Ryo Ikebi. And uh, he played in the movie Gorath. Anyone who's seen the film Gorath, he is the lead in that film as well. And the man uh, sort of in the foreground to the left wearing the glasses whose back is sort of to us, that is Correa Senda. Uh, Correa Senda also played in a couple of other Honda films. He also uh, appeared in Varan, The Unbelievable, or more specifically just – you know, Daikaiju Varan. And um, there's also one other film, The H Man. It's so funny that this gun produces a ton of radiation and yet they are not wearing protective gear and they're touching this plate with their bare hands and and also just really not wearing any protective gear for that matter well that's what i had said yeah yeah. i will say with our lead actor rio ikebe if i'm pronouncing that correctly um he is uh not one of my favorite lead actors. Uh, again, like I said, I've only seen him in this film and in Gorath, and I've never really been um, sort of sold on him as a leading actor. I, I find him to be very vanilla in his performance. He rarely emotes and displays any sort of um, emotion and, 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 and the like. He's always been very plain in his appearance and in his style of acting. And, um, and a little too I just serious. don't care for him. Correa Senda, uh, I, I have to say, too, I have never been quite as sold on him as well. Uh, however, I do believe... 
out of the three tokusatsu films I mentioned, this, Varan, and the H-Man, I do believe he performs a little bit better here, but that could also be due to the fact that he has a slightly larger role here than he does in those other two films. And, and one thing I just want to touch upon, just kind of following up on your uh, talk on the reception of the film. Uh, apparently, uh, a person named Howard Thompson from New York Times, he gave this film a mix, but a general uh, positive review stating, uh, quote, uh, the plot is absur- absurd and is performed uh, dead earnest. Some of the artwork is downright nifty, uh, especially in the middle portion when an Earth rocket soars to the moon to destroy a palpitating missile base. The uh, Japanese have opened a most amusing and beguiling uh, bag of technical tricks as death-dealing saucers whiz through the stratosphere and the lunar landscape is just as pretty as it can be. Yeah, at least here in the U.S., uh, the critical reception was relatively positive. You know, it wasn't overly positive, but... More times than not, it was basically um, uh, sort of uh, received generally well and more for its effects work than anything else. And I forget that guy's name right there. I I know I've seen him in a couple other tokusatsu and or other kaiju movies. You smashed my hand! How did he get the gun back? He just gave it to the inspector. Now he has it again. How did he get that gun? <laughs> I thought it was dropped on the floor there. Yeah, but then he picked it up. The inspector said, you're under arrest. He gave it to the inspector, and then he broke free, grabbed the girl, and then pointed the gun back at them again. How could his hand be bleeding from from just that electric thing there? It's amazing that this guy, even though he's under the spell of the Natalians, which are the uh, invading aliens in this film, uh, he's able to evade all of these military police. Yeah. 
Yeah, let's get down. That's going to help you. So, so is it like just this? You failed. So us. is it like just a shadow, or do they just like burn him alive or something, or evaporate? My guess is he's actually burned. Yeah, he's like burned in place. But still, like, why would that particular part be radioactive? Because his body would have uh, shielded that area of the ground. And how would his cells be like? stuck to the rocks there even if it was radiated because i would assume he's vaporized and just kind of you know due to the intense pressure of the vaporization that you would get small bits there on the uh on the ground and would it wouldn't they be at least mutated from the radiation <laughs> i don't know toho side i mean these guys are willing to handle these guys are willing to sit next to a ray gun without protective gear and handle plates that were shot with a radioactive gun, too. So, Well, that's just Toho science, so. This particular film, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how it's very Honda-esque in terms of showing conference centers and or the United Nations. Uh, this one is very heavy on these meetings. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't think of off the top of my head anyways any other Honda f- tokusatsu film that shows more of these conference meetings than this. I, I think Potentially, it's been a little while since I've seen it, but the only other film that I think m- that may compete with this one is The Mysterians. I don't know if you point this out too that uh, the special effects for this film were done by E.G. Tsuburaya. Just so that everyone knows here. Uh, a small part of the reason why this film was made, too, since you bring up Eiji Tsuburaya, was that Tsuburaya was uh, very fascinated about what the moon surface potentially looked like. And during this time, uh, the Russians had sent two rockets to the moon. And so Subaraya, before anybody was able to either take photos of the moon's surface or even land on the moon, he wanted to create a film depicting the surface of the moon. Uh, It was sort of his own race to just kind of figure out what this looked like. And eventually in 1969, when Neil Armstrong Strong and his crew set foot on the moon uh, and brought back pictures of the surface. Eiji Tsuburaya uh, felt vindicated about how he represented the surface of the moon. But uh, I, I find it interesting because the surface of the moon 
presented here in this film, while barren and rocky, yes, is similar to that of the actual moon surface, but in this film there are more uh, hills and mountains and valleys uh, than than what were uh, depicted on that uh, 1969 footage. And with this movie set, or made in 1959 wasn't that the same year when uh soviet union at the time uh launched sputnik into space i don't remember if it was sputnik but i knew that it's very possible yes um I don't know that for certain, but they sent two unmanned uh, rocket fields out in space. So according to this, it was launched in 1957, so just two years prior when this film was made. Again, we get this supposed love story here, and Mr. Vanilla here just isn't selling it to me. Um, This relationship goes nowhere in the film uh it's the sort of relationship you would see in many american science fiction films at the time and uh again i I just am not sold on uh, rio here You should be worried. (laughs) Town? What is that? The ladies' man, Yoshio Tsuchiya. I also like the colors that they're using on this shot here it sort of reminds me of uh oh that movie house uh the house uh i'm guessing some of you might know it's a it's a uh, japanese classic but it's very weird Yoshio Tsuchiya uh, always loved playing uh, characters that are either aliens or possessed by aliens or other oddball roles. And in fact, Yoshio Tsuchiya always claimed that he had seen flying saucers uh, before at various points over the course of his life. Which I think is understandable, and I'm probably guessing why he likes taking on these uh, certain roles where, I mean, he just acts like a normal guy and everything during these films and then somehow in, in a certain point that he gets at least uh, manipulated or taken over by uh, certain alien races 
Yeah. And another shortcoming of this film is the fact that uh, we are approximately, let's see here, let me see. We are approximately t- uh, just a little over 25 minutes into the film when he becomes possessed. And the thing is, is that he's basically possessed throughout the, the rest of the film. And while it does have some consequences later, the stakes should have been so much higher and the cons and the consequences of his being possessed um showing up more frequently over the course of the film rather than sitting back and keeping it quiet for the most part until they get to the moon's surface uh, i don't think that this was played out all that well uh, what they should have done is if they're going to possess him necessarily in the film is to have his character try to commit more sabotaging or other acts of violence uh during the time he's possessed or wait and hold off his possession uh, until they get to the moon's surface. Banzai! It's very much like these astronauts are going off to war. And again, we don't see a whole lot of this sort of send-off in many other Honda films. I mean, sure, we get send-offs like in Mothra, for example, but nothing of this sort where it's almost like soldiers going off to battle. Like in this magnitude. It's like most of them you just see at least a couple – couple of the main characters of the story or possibly side characters and just see them enter into a like a rocket or a spaceship and then they just take off this is almost sort of like um in 1954's gojira in a way when they are sent off uh when they are sent off from the ship and to uh, defeat Godzilla with the oxygen destroyer. I always found these sorts of send-offs to be more work than what they're doing because it's like, look, these people have not accomplished anything yet. Why all the confetti and the streamers? (laughs) Well, they just got to use them elsewhere. Wait for their return. I do like the control room set here. It is very uh, sort of in the vein of 1950s and 60s science fiction uh, films, even here in the U.S. And uh, I'm I'm a huge fan and sucker for the classic uh, science fiction films of the 50s and 60s. There's just uh, something about them. There's there's not only a charm, but just the representation of the technology and the aliens themselves that I love an awful lot and it's something that I find to be very lacking in many other films going from the 70s on up to the present 
Spip. That's the name of the rocket. <laughs> There's, it's supposed to be pronounced Speep. Fefe. <laughs> <laughs> I see FFE. Fefe. Radar control with parentheses EA. <laughs> and then the other one it says PAA. I wonder what those mean. Your movie must actually be a few seconds in front of mine. Like, I think with this uh, Blu-ray version, if I can remember, it didn't have all that uh, FBI uh, sort of stuff. It did that before the uh, the menu stuff came up. Because my... Uh, well, and then too, well, like I said, I have not seen the Japanese version, so I'm not sure how different uh, the, that version is from this. Well, on this uh, Blu-ray combo that I have here, along with uh, the H-Man, I'm not sure, because I'm guessing you're watching the DVD one. Uh, oh, yeah. Is that DVD version, was that released also by Mel Creek Entertainment? Because my DVD combo is... Mine was released by okay. Sony. So yeah, this one's released by obviously a different distributor. Now, does yours have the commentaries by Steve Rifle and Ed Gajaszewski? Uh From well, when I went to the Japanese version, I didn't see that. Um, I'll have to. I'll well, have to I mean, look on your uh, cover there. Here. This is one of the worst shots yep. of the film here. We get a couple of people, including Yoshio Tsuchiya, pulling their faces back to simulate the G-forces as they're going up into space. It's, in my opinion, not just a couple of the worst, most painful shots ever in this film, but really in all of cinema that I've seen. So, yeah, I'm looking here for Battle in Outer Space. Yes, there is a audio commentary with uh, Steve Rifle and Ed Gosh, Seshevsky. <laughs> always have a hard time with that. <laughs> always have a hard time pronouncing his last name. You have the English dub too, yeah. right? Yeah, this one has both English and Japanese versions of the film. Same goes for the H-Man as well. This guy here, and I don't remember his name, but he obviously plays a lot of uh, Caucasian bit roles in many of Honda's tokusatsu films of the mid-50s through about the mid-60s. You know, the one thing that I like here is that even though that they're in outer space, they use these, uh, like, the leather football helmets... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the uh, subtitles here they they also call it spip. The thing is though that on board and I have not heard anything as far as whether or not their ship has any sort of gravitational mechanism in place, but everybody here should be floating. Yeah. You know, just just with the way that they are walking around in that rocket, I would assume that they might have something like that. But I would, 
but during that time i'm guessing that they didn't realize of no gravity in outer space well they did because that one guy when he unbuckled his belt floated up and Yoshio Tsuchiya was the one uh, responsible uh, for when they get to the surface of the moon he is the one responsible for uh, them filming everything uh, in the sort of slow-mo floating manner because of the fact that there is less gravitation pull on the moon and there is the earth and even Honda uh, sorry for that as well so responsible for more of the accurate representation of sorry you're breaking up a little bit here the moon you're breaking up a little bit there uh Yoshio is responsible for how everybody can you even hear uh, me walks uh, with yeah Okay, you're you're breaking up a bit here. Your <laughs> internet quality is getting a bit low quality right now. Well, according to what my internet says, I got a good connection. Well, I'm seeing quite the opposite on my end here. Well, um, Yoshio Tsuchiya is credited um, for having everybody uh, walk in the slow floating manner when they get to the surface of the moon uh, he was the one who told Hana, Honda look uh, there isn't as much gravity on the surface of the moon so shouldn't we be walking more like there is less gravity and Honda said sure and they gave it a try and they stuck with it so Suchia is responsible for that And with these uh, football leather helmets that they have, I wonder what those different color stripes mean. I wonder if it's by their rank or something. Because, like, on that one gal, she has a red stripe on the front there, and then where Suchi, and then with Suchia's, he has black, and then the, the head guy there, I'm she didn't have anything. Sure it is. Hello? Is Frank for Hello, you're uh you're breaking up here. The mission and yeah. You're really breaking up, I couldn't hear anything. Your Skype is really breaking up there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of it. I. It's showing that uh, I've got uh, I've got good internet, so it might be on my end. Well, that's just great. 
Why don't you try uh, Ellie's restarting Skype here? I'll send you a link. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, but your audio is really low and your video quality is terrible. <laughs> So while Kent is restarting his Skype here, right now everyone within uh, SPIP1 here is figuring out that Suchia is uh, basically infiltrating and trying to destroy everything in the ship here just by touching random buttons and switches and everything here trying to guessing cause to have the spaceship blow up then we got a comet here going towards the spaceships or rockets There we go. There. <laughs> as as they as they used to say, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, your audio and video just really went downhill there. <sighs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't my internet because my internet's fine. It's always the Skype. These pages and stuff were loading, so it had to have been Skype. It's always Skype. But yeah, while you were out for a few minutes there, I was just mentioning about how everyone on the ship finally realized about Suchia and trying to destroy the spaceship there. You notice that the stripes for the people on the SPIP-2 have two stripes on their helmets? Probably meaning for the second rocket. I just realized that. Huh. Well, it's like now I'm trying to f guessing what the different colors mean because, like, some of the people have My different colors. My guess is than indeed it's rank. Um, but I think the number of stripes is indicated as far as the number, the, the rocket number you're on. Which makes sense. <laughs> I don't remember which rocket number. Was but, it then, one but then two? you have this guy right here 
who doesn't have any stripe at all. Right, the head guy, like he's the he's the leader. Like when you when they show Rocket Two, the the American, he doesn't have a stripe either, and he is the commander of that rocket. If they ever show the second rocket again, never again. Oh, there it is. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, you're several seconds ahead of me. Actually, more than several seconds. You're probably like 20 to 30 seconds ahead of me. Oh, wow. <laughs> Boy, those FBI... Well, like, like I said, I had that FBI anti-piracy. Those things probably take a while. <laughs> Deep warning on mine. Maybe if I just back in here. I don't know if that's where you're at, but I'm I'm closer. I know that for sure. So, yeah, right now they're landing on the moon there. Yeah, the rockets are just beginning to rotate. Yeah, and he's and I I was just noticing in that one shot there with the lead guy where he has his head tilted back. Yeah. Yeah, he's the only one in that guy too, but the other crew members they didn't really do that. Yeah, and, the, and this music, and this music so, here when they're oh, uh, landing oh. here, it sort of reminds me of uh, one of the Gamera films. Kind of, yeah, definitely in that vein. So so far, we're like half, we're roughly halfway through the film. Like, what are you making of uh, all of the effects work thus far? Well, as far or, as the visual effects uh, for this film, there really isn't much in that uh, field, but as far as the practical effects and some of the matte paintings, I would say that they're really good. Yeah, I would say overall the effects work is pretty darn well. If I had to give a letter grade, I probably would give like a B plus. Uh, there have been a few shots that are a bit rough around the edges, but overall uh, everything has been presented pretty well. Yeah, if I could do a grade as well, I'd probably at least give it a B. I will say, though, too, despite the fact this movie runs, you know, just ever so slightly over an hour and a half, um, the pacing at times is uneven and slow. Uh, for example, I would argue like the last 10 or so minutes since they've been making their way to the moon uh, have been slower than what is necessary. At least, I probably would say it's not as slow compared to uh, Latitude Zero. <laughs> Latitude Zero is almost a two-hour movie for starters. And, yeah, I mean, <sighs> Latitude Zero is really something else. I keep forgetting that movie exists, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> My subconscious is probably purposely like, no, this thing doesn't exist. It's like I want to keep forgetting about it. 
Oh, there's, while I think about it, there's at least one other film we have not discussed and we have not done a commentary for that I need to put in the notes thing here. And this that is the green and this slime. Also reminds me of Monster Zero, like this whole mm-hmm. setup here. And I'm probably guessing that how that movie was sort of influenced in a way was because of Battle in Outer Space. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, Battle in Outer Space was probably hearkened uh, back to for for some of these uh, setups and shots. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's quite the quite the tank. It always reminds me of a caterpillar. <laughs> yeah, it sort of like, does. Just the appearance of it. One of those caterpillars you see, like in Super Mario, with the red nose. Oh yeah, yeah. Now I can see it. It's like that combined with maybe like one of those vehicles that you see in Antarctica. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, look the earth. How cute it is. Shut up. (laughs) There we go again. Numb nuts keep screwing up. <laughs> yeah, oh, I didn't have it on here. I said enter. There we go. Well, the thing about the green slime is that I don't even have that movie yet. <laughs> It just recently, like in the last year or so, came out on Blu-ray. I got the DVD of it. I should probably see how much that's going right now on Amazon. And I know, I think it was, was it a year or a couple years ago when G-Fest was showing that over at the Pickwick the day before? Yeah, I think so. It was like a couple years ago. And then I think it was last year. Last year, the year before, uh, was an anniversary of the film, and Kevin Horn gave a panel discussion on it. Okay. Yeah, I'm only just seeing the DVD version of The Green Slime. Oh, no, there we go. There's Blu ray. So that's going for 1820. But. that's actually yeah, not Prime, bad. I thought it would have been like twenty. Prime Video has it for rent for two bucks, and then seven bucks to buy. What's the DVD? Uh, Twelve bucks. Does the Blu-ray have any like special features? I do not know. I'm taking a look. They only just show the front cover. Uh, I wonder if they have anything listed. Yeah, but go down, scroll down to like specs, see if there's anything. Uh, product details. Um, not seeing anything there. Okay. Yeah, because there isn't much known about this film. Kevin even said that uh, during the panel, and, and that's why that particular panel was such an open discussion, just because a lot of information or any in, anything about the film is just sort of lost. So... It is an interesting movie. I think it is a film you will want to own. Well, I know. I w- was thinking about... Uh, 
going to see that, and I know I mentioned about that to you because I know these last few or so years that we've been attempting to go to see some of these movies over at Pickwick, but we end up not doing it. I think we need to do that next year. Yeah, we just need to do it one of these times. Just do it. Just do it. (laughs) Just do it. The hovering aspect of these vehicles, I find not uh, first and foremost, it's a little cool that they do it, but at the same time, it's kind of silly given the fact that they're designed the way that they are. It just it looks a bit awkward. <laughs> I still I mean, look the at cam- it and I'm the, like, that's a caterpillar. That's not a vehicle. <laughs> the camera angle when they were showing the two of them uh, hovering and stuff, it looked pretty cool, but just. I would say the execution was a bit weird in a way. Do you notice, too, even on the helmets, that they have the color stripes, and even the ones from the Speep 2 have two stripes? Yeah, and... When I was looking at the Spip One helmets, there I was going to mention something about it, but you were still talking <laughs> that, uh, like the ones from Spip One, almost sort of looked like uh, the ones that were red colored looked like Ohio State helmets in a way. Yeah. Are the red ones like the people from the original Star Trek series, where they're basically destined to get shot and killed? <laughs> And then, of course, you have, well, yeah, you got the leaders that also didn't have the stripe, uh, the stripes on their helmets. Okay, yeah, so they have, like, the color, like the yellow ones that you saw there, the, that were yeah. yellow, and then it says right next to it, Chief, off the side of the helmet. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm guessing. I saw Correa Senda's helmet, though, said Commander on it. So, yeah, I'm guessing it was... Uh, like rank and everything with those specific colors. See, that helmet should have been floating. (laughs) But it wasn't. (laughs) I do like how they actually just have it horizontal, like have that entire set set up vertically, though. Yeah. That was uh, that was kind of some bad acting. This shot here, uh, and I think there are a couple other shots similar to it, were filmed uh, in Mount Mihara. Which is sort of cool in a way, because then I was, oh gosh, maybe about 25 or so years later, they use that as one of the sets for... <laughs> Uh, the return of Godzilla, or the main plot, yeah. or the ending scene, I should say. It'll be cool that one of these days, whenever I go to Japan, uh, with Mount Mihara being part of the uh, the Tokyo Prefecture, like just take yeah. one of the like a day ship or something, and just go over to uh, to Mount Mihara. 
again, arguably, we're spending more time walking around uh, than what is necessary. It's almost sort of like uh, Latitude Zero all over again. But this time, it's just walking around the moon. Yeah, I mean... I do like this movie, and like I said, strangely enough, this film is just a hair over. And even then, like we've said before with certain films that are an hour and a half, maybe even shorter, that sometimes they feel a lot longer because of just how – just the decisions they made to Well, just the pa- film. Yeah, just the pacing-wise just makes it feel like that it's a lot longer than an hour and a half. Yeah. Then here we go again with Suchi uh, trying to sabotage uh, the rockets. Hey guys, look what I found! A tunnel! I wonder what it says there for the red guys. Did it say radar? I couldn't quite make it out. Ray car? What? <laughs> I can't even quite make it out. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. <laughs> Derpy derp. <laughs> Keep moving, damn it. Yeah, the one. This movie's only 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah, so his helmet. It had a white stripe, but it says navigator. At first, my my mind when I saw part of his, the side of his helmet, my mind immediately for a split second thought it's an alligator. <laughs> <laughs> He's an alligator. <laughs> what what, what kind of rank is alligator? <laughs> What's the roll of it? Oh boy. He's an alligator. <laughs> well, it does sort of make sense because he's just sabotaging. I go chomp. Well, he's just chomp, sabotaging chomp. the uh, like the spaceships and everything go around like an alligator to a wildebeest. Yeah, but alligators aren't saboteurs. <laughs> I do kind of like this little miniature of the Italian uh, home base. It reminds me of the, uh, the Mysterians uh, base when it was in Earth, in a way. It was like a spinning breast. <laughs> that one looked, looked Maybe pretty was, cool. Yeah, you know, like it has an this huge opal, like red blinking opal with surrounding opals just, <laughs> just turning around it. Well, I'm talking about the Mysterians one. Yeah, it's sort of, well, like this one here that I was talking about here. That has that similar top to it. And then I would like to know what some of the other uh, things are around 
around that main base there. Well, we are never going to find out. And then here we have uh, always these characters always reminded me of like Star Wars characters. Uh, they kind of look like some of those stormtroopers you see from uh, Return of the Jedi. But then again, maybe George Lucas stole these helmet designs. Or maybe like uh, space balls. With how funny it looks. I've never watched that movie in its entirety. Well, I try to... I, These Natalians were supposedly as vicious as they are. They just... Their introduction here and just sort of how they're treated by the film is pretty underwhelming. Well, just the execution and how they're yeah, pretty much portrayed in this. It just doesn't quite seem like that they're harmful or anything or... <laughs> doing anything ravaging so it took him what probably a half hour to go from one rocket to the next you know with that one spaceship exploding there you would thought it would have uh, cause of ricochet and basically <laughs> cause damage to the other spaceship and probably tipping it over. Oh yeah, I've always thought about <laughs> that too. Well, and the thing is though too, because there's no oxygen in space, I don't think there would be much of a explosion. Like the thing would blow up, but like itself would sort of be contained and slightly minimized because of lack of oxygen. So now here we get some uh, visual effects and with a uh, gun being used there, it almost makes me think of the uh, like the ectoplasma uh, from Ghostbusters. Yeah. You, oh, idiot. You just bomb rush the, the crowd. What kind of an idiot are you? And the sounds that the Natalians uh, are making, I think it's probably the same ones that were used for the Mega Neurons in Rodan. Mega Neurons, yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're like zombies. Again, it's very underwhelming, their representation here. And I like how that gun just completely evaporates all the Natalians there. Yeah. And again, I do like this movie, and part of it is just things like this with an Italian ship. Just the physical representations of certain things are kind of cool. And the overall sort of story being a simple alien invasion story. But yeah, there are certain things like those Natalians that we saw there. They're underwhelming. Uh, the pacing is off. I, I a lot of times don't realize it until after a while that uh, I end up actually kind of spacing off for a decent chunk of the film because it's, it is very ponderous at points. Yeah, I was doing a little bit of the same too. I mean... With all the pacing that they – or the slow pacing that they were doing with them, just basically walking around the moon there, I would have thought they would have just – you know, 
they should have just used all that time for maybe like an actual battle. Like having instead of just two rockets just going over to the moon and fighting all the Natalians there, you would have thought that they would have sent in so so many other ships and having maybe like a platoon or something. Know, helping them out instead of just a few hand, like a few people just taking out an entire yeah, I mean, base. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we talk about pacing being a serious issue with this film and how we've said like they're their trip to the moon and then walking up to this point to find the base uh, they took longer than what was necessary and that time could have been cut down and yeah like like a battle of some sort could have taken place we could have had higher stakes because um, this here as visually cool as it looks it is very underwhelming because even though the Italians are shooting back here, there aren't as big a stakes here. And we don't really get those stakes realized until a bit later with the dogfight. And even then, that is not handled uh, quite as well because four sh- um, uh, world ships are destroyed. And so then you're talking, what, four pilots having been killed uh, in that final dogfight. The mothership coming to Earth and destroying parts of Tokyo is pretty cool and ups the stakes a bit more. But still, it's very underwhelming. And here especially, it's even more disappointing considering this is home base for the Italians. And the one thing that's a bit weird for me – uh, in this sort of thing and how it's executed that they have these lasers coming out of the main base from like the actual ports where their spaceships are coming from I would have right. thought that it came from like that actual like that opal looking sphere that that's sitting on top of that base where raised up there I would have thought it would just come from that but it just comes like those lasers just comes out of those uh, spaceship portals like randomly which is a bit strange in how they did that yeah, and those laser shots were just random. It's sort of like they were crazy, and they're just like, oh, just fire everywhere and see if you hit something. Like it's, And some of their ships were even leaving, and it's like you could end up accidentally yeah. shooting one well, of your own ships. Well, just like the origin of some of those lasers, they don't just stay like stationary from what you from what you see when, they, when those lasers are ex- uh, executed. Yeah, it's... It, it just is kind of sloppy and, and un. I mean, I get that they're trying to, you know, have those lasers move, but just don't have the origin point of those lasers move as well. Yeah. You know, since they're in. Uh, outer space, you would think that they would have a separate chamber within those caterpillar tanks with like a separate room just to suck out all the all the uh, like the vacuum or just try to keep the oxygen <laughs> within those caterpillar tanks. 
Well, they're still wearing their helmets, so they're right. not concerned about oxygen or not. But yeah, I mean, it would sort of make sense so you don't have to wear your helmet all the time, but then you might forget to put it on when you're ready to go out and be like, <laughs> rain time! <laughs> or just probably uh, without uh, chamber sucking out the vacuum or putting in the oxygen before going out. Like it probably just caused a lot of space issue. Which I can, which would make sense. Oh, yeah. It's more about getting people from point A to point B than anything else. I will say that how the saucers fly, I never once have noticed any sort of strings or anything like that as those things fly. Yeah, and I'm trying to just take a closer look at some of these on Blu ray here that. I just haven't really seen any strain yet. But as far as the like the close up of one of the guys here using the uh, yeah. gun here with the matte screen, it just looks a bit silly. Yeah, it's that way too on the DVD. Uh, it has to do with the whole blue screening and everything. It's unfortunate, but oh well. I mean, even though you can't see the glass bubble, at least he's still wearing his gear. So even if it wasn't a bubble, you could still say, hey, at least he has his gear and he's not like – it would be a completely different story if he didn't like have his helmet on. Well, I can, I can at least see just a little bit of it, but just barely due to the yeah. matte screen there. And then here we have a, a kind of a stupid – um, quagmire uh, that the people from the second uh, rocket have gotten themselves into. Um, this, this to me is kind of frustrating too because uh, it does nothing but to pad out the film again. And it's supposed to create tension, but it really doesn't because there are no actual consequences uh, that come of this. It's just – it's very disappointing that you have these things built into the story, and what ends up happening is a completely underwhelming, uh, dull moment. It cheats the audience is what it does because you have enough of these moments over the course of the movie and very rarely, if at all, are there any consequences to all of this. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, it just adds more padding to the movie, which it really shouldn't it is, it yeah. really shouldn't be. Like it shouldn't just extend the whole story. And then now you see them arriving at the uh, rockets and everything. They just only see one of them exploded, which was Spip 1. But Spip 2 is still standing as is.
I always thought here too, on some level, would you honestly want people to be in the car? I mean, sure, you got the big laser gun there, but you're a bigger target than if you were to try to like go by yourself into the nearby hills there and hide. Mm-hmm. That's a little unbelievable there. <laughs> I mean, you think the uh, the the ray gun on the caterpillar tank would be more effective than just a regular individual gun there damage but you would really need to be firing a decent amount of time at one of the Mm -hmm. to blow it up and you see there with the lead actor that he was exactly trying to tell uh, the guy to get away and everything but he didn't really have the facial expression (laughs) you took the words out of my mouth i was about to say something about that (laughs) because i was like there we go again like there's mr vanilla there he's just not really delivering here i mean this is just my opinion but i'm not sure if this was even the case but I'm guessing just even though that this guy was in at least a few of these tokusatsu slash uh, kaiju films that I'm guessing with just the way that he acted in his film, I I would say that he probably just wasn't casted ever again. (laughs) But I'm not sure if that's just really the case. But that's just my opinion. He movies, but yeah, as far as tokusatsu films, he wasn't in many of them. Because I'm guessing the last one that I know that he was in was uh, Dagora. Maybe? No, he wasn't in that one. I thought it was. I think this was... The last one was Gorath. Because that was 62. When was uh, Dagora made? 64. So, yeah, that should have been his last one. Or I'm no, thinking of he someone. Wasn't in that film. Or I'm thinking of someone else, probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Yosuke Natsuki yeah. was the lead actor there. My B. I uh, have to say, though, the uh, AIP dubbing of this film is actually pretty decent. I mean, occasionally, kind of like with Iramura's final words there, where it was choppy, was like, I blew up. Forgive me. (laughs) Go back home. Like, his character all of a sudden becomes this sort of Americanized Japanese stereotype that um, is very ridiculous. But at the same time, overall, the dubbing and everything, I, I would say, is pretty darn good. Although I would have to say, and I'm going to just say it for you, that I probably wouldn't care much of the subtitle text for the subtitle version or the Japanese version. That's just uh, white text, but it does have some black yeah. outline for it. That seems to be the standard color anymore. Although I I think that in the beginning that they did have it yellow because the text for the cast and everything was yellow.
you know, I just realized that in the couple scenes that they had for this, the last couple scenes that they had for this United Nations uh, meeting room, that they never show the like the the name plates of the uh, different countries nor their little flag things again. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like a couple of those shots, there were actual uh, either repeats from earlier in the film or were separately filmed during the same time as those earlier shots, but then inserted for this uh, section. A couple of dolls there. I mean, the miniatures otherwise, though, are pretty cool, and I do like this matte painting here. Yeah. I would say the practical effects and the matte paintings for this film are pretty darn good. Orbit plot. They should have had a big chart like that for the plot of this film. Yeah, I just realized that they had, like, a huge major project from what it looks like in the Arctic Circle. So now they did, like, in, uh, oh gosh, uh, Gorath, where they did, like, a huge major project in the Antarctica. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So now they've done, so now Toho's done major projects for both sides of the world. (laughs) Yeah. Kong Escapes, was that the Arctic where Dr. Who originally was based? I think that was the Arctic. For some reason, something's telling me Antarctica. (laughs) Or it could be somewhere else. I'm not entirely sure. It was in one of the poles. I want to say, though, it was the Arctic. It's been a while since I've last seen that film. You're not Russian. It's like he disappeared. Well, I thought that guy was supposed to be because, like, because like earlier in the film, that guy was right in front of the uh, like the uh, Canada nameplate when he was at the UN. Well, yeah, but they were saying like Russia over, and then they go to this guy. Yeah. And see here, here's a here's a couple of characters that we're supposed to feel for, but we. We barely saw the guy earlier in the film, and we've not seen her up until now, and we don't see him again later. So, again, they're trying to create stakes, but the characterization is such a piss-poor job in this film that you're just kind of like, huh, don't get killed now. Like, it's just... That guy, uh, again, I his name starts with an N, and I wish I could remember his name, but he plays a lot of bit parts, too, in other uh, kaiju and tokusatsu films. He was the lead actor in Varan. Boy, the... Uh the uh, the matte blue screen yeah the yeah. matte screen there was a bit messed up because his seat was actually <laughs> showing <laughs> the background of space there so that was why isn't the guy suffering <laughs> so that's that's uh, sort of a big mark <laughs> as far as the visual effects there 
Yeah. I'm sort of willing to let that go because you have a number of those shots too in the Mustians. Uh, you have more of them there than you do here. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, it is an eyesore, but I sort of forgive the films for that. And so now you got the uh, the Monster March going here. It's like a bunch of missiles shooting up instead of rockets. Just so you know, your audio is muffled right now. Yeah, I can hear you. It's just your quality is going bad again. (laughs) Stupid Skype. Damn it. Good. Okay, now it's starting to clear up there. See, now we actually get some sort of actual battle going on. Yeah, I mean, and it comes within the final, uh, what here? (laughs) The final 10 minutes of the movie. Can't can't believe we're close to being done with this. I know, it's crazy. When we do these commentaries and they're gone lickety-split... That guy, I didn't realize that the back of his rocket was actually on fire. That was a boo-boo on the (laughs) part of the effects work. And, the, and then again, like with these uh, Natalian spaceships, like their origin point of these lasers, they're just a bit random mm-hmm. in places. They just don't really stand still. Yep. You read my mind again. I thought about saying something like a minute ago, and I'm like, nope, not going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has to be said. Yeah. Stuff that has to be said. And th- they're bringing asteroids with them. Yeah, it's like he saw one that was going towards the two spit rockets there. But I don't know if like the the Natalian spaceships are have like some sort of uh, tractor beam just bringing them in or what. They don't really. Explain. I would assume that's what's going on. Like the mothership's bringing them in or yeah, something. Yeah, like they. There's just really no explanation as to why those asteroids are coming in.
still, though, needs to be some sort of focus with this final battle, and sadly there isn't. I mean, we've seen a couple of characters a few times, but even then, those are characters that have never really been built up over the the course of the film it would be great if someone like uh like uh, our main actor here rio ikebe if he was uh potentially one of those rockets or something again they're trying to create stakes and in some way they are doing a slightly better job as here we see part of new york get i really like this but even uh, like these uh practical effects here of the miniatures of like basically downtown manhattan and then the golden gate bridge here yeah. Driving on the Golden Gate Bridge uh, was pretty surreal about a year ago when we were there. But, um, um, yeah, like they do a slightly better job of upping the stakes during this final battle segment. But even then, uh, it's still underwhelming considering none of our main characters are in those rockets. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's, very uh, um, kid glove story. You yeah, but you have to center that around Karen that uh, you develop and care enough about. Oh, sadly, I think I see a few thin strings on these ships as they're in Earth here. Yeah, I can barely see it, especially on this uh, main ship. I do like how this mothership beam operates here. I do like that. Yeah, with like this anti-gravity thing here it's just the way that that beam was shot down it sort of remind reminds me of the independence day <laughs> beams again you read my mind <laughs> it's like they say great minds think alike <laughs> so don't fuck with us <laughs> <laughs> That should make that in a teacher. Great minds think alike in parentheses and smaller uh, text underneath. So don't fuck with <laughs> us. <laughs> Sadly, you see some of the breaking points there in the bill. Just a minor quibble, but a little, little disappointing that you see that. I'd like to know how they got that uh, set up, trying to make it look like that those buildings are going up. I wonder if there's like some sort of fan, like it's powered I, fan. I, I, I wonder yeah, if there's like a powered fan underneath it, and then just exactly. See, I was again. <laughs> Your audio is breaking up here. That's our offer, Pete's sakes. What about now? It's cleared up, but I always, I always hate it. I'm wondering if it happens if we talk over each other. Well, and I hate it too that with your cam here on uh, Streamlabs, it, it always keeps resizing. I think every time when when there's something on on your Skype. And it's just really annoying <laughs> from what I'm seeing here. 
thankfully we just got it on the the uh, the title card here for right now. Pretty soon I'm not going to be able to talk on here. I'm going to be like Wiley Coyote, just holding up different cards to talk about <laughs> what I want to say. Yeah. Yikes. Here. Damn Cam here. Stop spurging out. <laughs> Boy, just one ship just really blew up that. <laughs> well, <laughs> someone's going to pay for that. <laughs> Numb nuts, you're letting them crash into your hangers. Well, whoever was the one that was operating that one huge laser and radar yo, beam. EK Bay goes, oops. <laughs> we beat them all, although the one <laughs> facility of ours. Half of our planet is destroyed. <laughs> Even though they say, oh, we beat them all, but there isn't really any celebratory uh, going on here. Yeah. Which is really underwhelming. So what happened to the mothership again? Oh, now, now, they, now they do it. <laughs> Jesus. Boy, they're, they're really late. Double check in there. What's that? So what happened to the mothership? I don't know. That's a problem with this movie. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they were just like really laying their celebratory and like they just really delayed it. <laughs> well, they were still trying to double check to make sure that there was no. Still, other I mean, they, they should have seen it because didn't they have like some sort of uh, like uh, televised screen going on? Who knows? <laughs> it's, this movie is sort of. Uh... But yeah, I would say the pacing and some of the cu cutting in this film is not done quite well, I would say. Yeah, all right. And that's that is the end. Definitely is the end. And so Final thoughts, uh, Jason. You go first on Battle in Outer Space here. Um, besides the uh, pacing, some of uh, the weird cutting, and then also just the big uh, mark on, uh, I would say that that matte screen with that one rocket where the uh, back seat or the head padding uh, for. Uh, that one rocket shot just showing the uh, <laughs> the outer space there it, I would say it's 
it's a decent movie in its own right. It's, but I would say it's the execution. It's it's a bit mixed. I would say, and I would at least maybe give it a a decent C plus uh, for the film, and I'd probably just give it like a rent. Just for, just to at least give it a, give it a watch. Yeah. Um, again, like I said, I saw this about a month, month and a half ago, and um, watching it now, especially sort of with you know our own podcast critical eyes, so to speak, to try to give. Um, our listeners uh, more of an objective take on the film and the fact that we both pointed out uh, discrepancies here and there throughout the course of the film uh, I have to say actually uh, interestingly enough this time was probably my least favorite viewing um, of this film Um, there are definitely some things I like about the film I would say most of the effects work uh, is pretty good there are definitely some moments where it is a miss uh, but I give them an A for effort Uh, the acting leaves a lot to be desired Um, part of that though too goes along with character work Uh, characterizations are very one dimensional in this film we really uh, barely know anything about even our main character and even then there's not enough there to um, substantiate us uh, caring about him Uh, he uh, Rio Ikebe again I'm sorry um, he might be a good actor I don't know because in the couple of films that I've seen him in he has not sold me on his ability and um the story is straightforward, and there's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, but at the same time, it, it is slowly paced in several key areas, and that should not be necessary. Uh, there should have been different decisions made to bring in more action. Uh, heck, even you could have taken some of those moments, cut them down, and used that time elsewhere in other parts of the film to, let's say, either uh, flesh out the story and or your characters more. Um, it, it This time around, like I said, was I actually look at the film now in a more negative light now this time uh, after doing this commentary. Um, I think from an effects and visual standpoint, it is a fairly neat film to look at. But when you start following the story and everything, uh, it's kind of dull and, and it's not not quite as entertaining um i would if i had to give it a letter grade before this commentary i probably would have given it a b minus uh, coming into this commentary now i probably give it a c minus um maybe even a d plus um I'm, I'm actually pretty disappointed now in this film, sadly, and it's understandable now as to why this movie just isn't uh, heralded to the extent like a film like Mysterians. Part of that, though, too, is because you have a better cast uh, in that film, and um, the story is fleshed out better as well. And then, of course, when you have great actors like Akihiko Harata, Kenji Sahara, uh, etc., uh, any sort of um, – um, 
lackings within the story, good actors can make up for it in many ways. Uh, here, you just don't quite have the cast. I mean, sure, you got Yoshio Tsuchiya, but even then, he's pretty underwhelming, sadly, uh, in this film. And uh, that leads me to believe it has more to do with the writing, and I think that's very apparent throughout. If I have to give the letter grade uh, for this film... Again, I said sinus D+. I still think, though, for all, um, it's still something that I think um, every Tokusatsu fan should see at least once. I, I have to give it a rent uh, uh, for my um, uh, final grade uh, because, again, I do think the miniature work uh, and all that is quite good. Uh, it's a visual, fun film, but like I said, when you come down to the story and characters, it's uh, incredibly lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, again, which is unfortunate. Yeah. I still give it a rent, but I'm actually more disappointed in it now that we've gone through this commentary and we've really sort of started seeing it slightly more critically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So otherwise, um, can't really think of anything else besides uh, if you want to subscribe to us uh, on our social media or uh, streaming networks, uh, we certainly are uh, on these following uh, streaming networks, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook Live, uh, Periscope, and DLive, and then uh, we have the audio versions of our uh, shows over at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and TuneIn. And then you can also follow us at these uh, social media uh, networks here. Just search for Daikaiju Network. And we also have our own uh, websites uh, over at daikaijunetwork.com. But so if you can see on the main cam, this is how <laughs> spurging out uh, Kent's cam is from uh, Skype there. Like every time it gets really, really annoying <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so and I'm trying to like trying to resize it every time here. And then and it, it's just really annoying. <laughs> for me gosh darn it stop spurging out for me here ah. <laughs> um yeah so otherwise um i can't think of anything else at uh the moment for the time being mm-hmm. yeah so thank you so much for uh watching and or listening and uh we'll keep you posted yeah definitely oh. gosh darn it thanks for joining <laughs> us yep Take care, everyone. We'll see you uh, next time. Uh, I'm not sure when we are going to be announcing either our show or the uh, commentary. I already have an idea, so. Okay. Um, Just zoom it right there again so you can see my ugly mug (laughs) for one more time. So otherwise, uh, thanks for watching and take care, everyone. (laughs) 